Good morning, Parkhurst Community Church. My name's Pete. I'm one of the leaders here. And it's a privilege for me to be sharing with you this morning as we continue our series leading up to Easter, Redemption Road, where we are looking at some key events and encounters that occur in the Gospel accounts as Jesus approaches the cross. Now, my guess is that most of you are feeling quite disoriented and probably even a bit uh, scared at the moment with the state of things as they are around us now. And I think, to be honest, that this is appropriate because what we are facing uh, in the world right now is like nothing that we have experienced uh, ever before in uh, our lifetimes. And I think we, we probably tend to throw out the word unprecedented too easily. Now is the time to use a word like that. This really is unprecedented. Nothing like this has happened in world history before. Yes, there have been plagues and pandemics before, but not at uh, a time when travel and communication and trade and finance have been so free and fluid and interlinked. And so what has hit this world right now really is uh, without precedence. And what I'd like to say to you, Parkers Community Church, this morning is just to start out by saying that Jesus and his gospel were made for times like this. In Jesus, we have a rock on whom to stand that nothing can move. When all around is sinking sand, on Christ the solid rock I stand. And I've been so encouraged so far to see uh, the response of you guys as a church leaning in uh, and, and, and just uh, doing your best to be a com- community at a time when we can't gather physically And I just commend you for that, and uh, I would encourage you this morning to keep uh, looking to Jesus. One thing that a crisis forces on us is that everything that we took for granted uh, starts slipping away, and that gives us the opportunity to start taking stock of what really matters, what is truly important, and what is more peripheral. Friends, yes, this is a crisis, but in In a sense, it's also a gift. And the reason I I want to stress this is that with the pace at which things move today, we seldom have any time to be reflective. Our busyness is a constant distraction. The flood of information that comes comes at us the whole time is a constant distraction. All our multiple responsibilities, all the different hats we need to wear, those also are constant distractions. And before we know it, years or even decades of life have slipped through our fingers without us stopping to think about what deserves our best time and efforts. And I think that the honest truth is that many of us actually like it this, this way. And the reason I say this is that there was a, an infamous study that was done um, about a decade ago that, that showed that most people would prefer to receive a small electric shock than to be left alone with their thoughts, even for a small amount of time. But this is not a new phenomenon. Uh, Blaise Pascal, the 17th century mathematician and philosopher, had this to say. He said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room with only his thoughts. And so there's something about the way that we are wired, that we love to be distracted so that we're not forced to do the hard work of thinking about weighty matters, thinking about life and death, thinking about heaven and hell, thinking about what we are living for. 
But when the distractions get pulled away, as they have uniquely at this point in time, I guess we have no other option. And so friends, as we get ready to look at today's story, I would urge you to make some time to do some deeper thinking perhaps at this crossroads that we are facing. And I'd like to kind of get us going this morning by asking all of us this question, what is truly valuable? What is worth giving our lives for? And I don't think it's stating things too strongly to say that getting the answer right to questions like this of ultimate value can be and should be life-changing. The crisis right now is one that actually also centers around an incredibly difficult and complex value judgment. Should we prioritize saving uh, lives on the front end and in the process uh, wrecking the world economy that then is going to lead to all sorts of people losing their jobs and their livelihood and their abilities to support their families or the other way around or somewhere in the middle. So it's actually an impossible choice. But I say this just to point out that we need to make difficult value judgments all the time. And the text that we're going to be looking at this morning confronts us with one of these questions of ultimate value. What is of lasting value in this life? And so if you can, find a way to uh, get, get, get your Bible out and find a way to Matthew chapter 26. And we're, going to, we're going to be going from verse 6 to verse 13. Uh, the words will be up on the screen as well. It's the, the story of Mary anointing Jesus at Bethany. Okay, I'm starting from verse 6. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointments, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing for me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your stable, eternal unshakable, living word that is always precious, but at times like this becomes exceedingly precious to us. Father, we pray that you would speak to us this morning with uh, clarity. Lord, all of us are looking for something stable, something certain uh, at this time of, of great uncertainty. And we know, Lord, that you and your word and your promises and your kingdom or where it's at. And so I just pray, Lord God, thank you so much that you promised to continue to speak to us through your word and, and change us and give us confidence as we hold on to your promises. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to break down this passage in three headings. So we're going to first look at Mary's extravagant devotion. And then we're going to move on to the disciples' empty distress and finally Jesus' expert discernment. So let's 
let's start with Mary's extravagant devotion. And I'd just like to kind of set the context uh, for you guys here. So the time is the week just before Passover. It's the week leading up to the cross. And Jesus is at the house of a guy called Simon the leper, which is quite a name. And uh, we learn in John's version of the story that Lazarus and Mary and Martha, Jesus' close friends, were all there along with some of the other disciples. And uh, this is happening in a place called Bethany, just, just outside Jerusalem. Jesus really seemed to love Bethany and he loved these guys. These were some of his best friends. And Matthew places the story, interestingly, he kind of sandwiches it between the plot of the religious leaders to kill Jesus and the plot of Judas to betray Jesus to those same religious leaders. And so I think it's, it's probably worth pointing out that this meal would have been taking place at great risk to, to the guys who were there. Jesus was already a wanted man and to associate with him uh, would have been to put them, their own lives in danger. And so that's just some background behind what's going on uh, in the story. And what clearly comes uh, forth is that the main character in the story is, is this woman who John tells us is Mary. This is the same Mary who was sitting at Jesus' feet when Martha was running around in busyness in that other familiar story that we, that we know. And Mary, I guess as a res- result of all that sitting and listening, just seems to get it kind of uniquely, when no one else is getting it. She sat and she's listened and she's learned. I mean, she was uh, able to discern that if Jesus had got there when Lazarus had died, he wouldn't have died if he had got there in time. And so Mary gets who Jesus is. and, And she seems to have discerned and grasped the weight of what is going on at this point in time and what's about to transpire. And what she does is she takes a jar of extremely expensive perfume and she breaks it and pours it out all over Jesus. And I think I I get the sense that this is something that she was planning for a while. She had thought long and hard about this and she didn't care about what anyone else was going to think about this act. Now make no mistake, this was radical stuff. This was over the top, extravagant. Culturally at the time, often guests when they sat down for a meal, would have some oil smeared over their head as an act of hospitality. I don't fully understand that. Please don't do that if I come to your house. But nothing, nothing like this. This is crazy stuff. John, in his accounts, makes it explicit that this jar of perfume was worth 300 denarii, which is around a year's worth of wages for an average worker at that point in time. Just think about that for a second. Students. Maybe your entire student loan for a year that covers your accommodation and your meals and your studies and your transport. That amount. Or if you're working already, your entire annual salary. I don't know what that is for, for, for you. Is that hundreds of thousands of rands or more? This is over-the-top extravagant generosity. And I, 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 I kind of figure that Mary has got to the place where she could sing. Uh, obviously, this hymn didn't exist at the time, but if... If it had, she would have happily sung the famous words, were the whole, whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And so friends, I want to ask you this morning, what is Jesus worth to you? 
What if you lose everything in this crisis? What if you lose your own life? What if you lose the life of a loved one? What if you lose your job or your entire life savings? Will you have nothing left? Or will you, by virtue of the fact that you know Jesus, still have everything left? Mary is showing us here in this act of extravagant worship that Jesus is priceless. He is worth giving our most expensive possession for. It makes me think of that famous parable of the treasure hidden in the field where the man who discovers that this treasure is hidden in the field in his joy goes and sells everything that he has so that he may gain that field. Is this your understanding of what Christianity is all about? Is this your understanding of who Jesus is? I think many of us have a misconception of what what worship is. We think that worship primarily is singing on a Sunday morning. But I I think that doesn't come close to the the full-orbed understanding of what worship truly is. I think worship is what we show by our actions is most valuable to us. And so Mary is worshipping here. She is showing what she values. She has sat at Jesus' feet and she's slowly come to realize who he is and what he's come to do. So how do we get more like Mary? Well, friends, if there's one thing that I can challenge all of us uh, to do at this time, it's this. Now that we've perhaps got a little bit more time on our hands, our options are constrained. We're forced to be at home. It's this. Resolve again to sit at Jesus' feet. And to learn from Him afresh and to look to Him. Doug has been saying to us since the beginning of the year that this is the year of looking to Jesus. And if anything, this current crisis has double underlined that and put that in flashing neon lights. That is, everything around us is shaking. We need to just resolve afresh to look to Jesus. Let's emulate Mary with her extravagant devotion in going all in with Jesus. Next, the disciples empty distress. Mary's barely finished pouring out the perfume before the howls of protest start. The disciples are indignant. They are furious. And I guess on the face of it, their concerns are reasonable. I mean, it's like a year's wages, as I just said. These are not wealthy people. And of course, the money raised by selling this perfume, could have been given to the poor. It could have funded their ministry for probably a significant period of time. These guys relied on on the generosity of others to fund their expenses. And it all sounds so reasonable, doesn't it? But, you know, in reality, it just gives evidence to the fact that the disciples are blind to reality. They haven't yet, even after traveling closely with Jesus for three years now, latched onto who he is or what's about to happen. Mary did, we know that, but it seems like she's the only one. Not them. They're always so slow. They're always so dim-witted. They're never getting what's actually going on. It's quite amazing to me. But maybe you've experienced a similar reaction yourself in your life, just like the disciples give here. I mean, no one tends to have any issues if you give your money and time to the poor or to some kind of social initiative, right? I mean, we have this phenomenon nowadays that has been called virtue signaling, where 
We kind of fight hard to show the world how righteous we are, ideally in some kind of curated Instagram post with the right filter on, showing how righteous we are by our recycling efforts or our Meat Free Mondays or our support to the Me Too movement or whatever. People will applaud you when you do those things. But those same people, when they find out that you are super committed to church and to a traditional understanding of the Bible and that you give your money to the church in a significant amount of time as well, well then, no, you're crazy, you're a fanatic. Don't you know you could use your brain for something useful? That's actually something I, I, I got told multiple times when I left my job in banking to go and work for my church. I got told stuff like, but you're a smart guy. Why are you wasting your life? Why are you wasting your brain? And if I didn't get told that explicitly, it kind of oozed out implicitly for many people. Yeah, sure, go volunteer for Rotary or whatever, but just relax on the Jesus stuff. Have you experienced anything like this? And I think it's so easy. The world continues, continually is trying to push us into its mold. And I think that's why we see the Apostle Paul at various points in the New Testament praying that our eyes would be opened to spiritual reality, to the reality of the worth of Jesus, who He really is, what He's done. It's so hard for us. Uh, it's, it's impossible for us really to perceive using just our natural reasoning ability to perceive spiritual value correctly. And so I want to pray with the Apostle Paul for all of us as a church right now that God would open our eyes to what really matters. And as I've prepared this message this week, this has challenged me. Are we, am I, and are we content just to give God our scraps, bits and pieces of what's left over after all the important stuff has been taken care of? So as I was saying, we show what we value in our actions. So friends, again, let's be challenged by Mary's example. There's nothing that we have that is too much to sacrifice for Jesus. Has he not proved that he deserves it? And let me just say this as well, and I think this will encourage many of us, is that he will notice. I think the story of Mary here shows us that he always notices, even if no one else does, even if others ridicule what they see you doing. I mean, Mary's devotion (laughs) is remembered and recorded for all time, for posterity here in Scripture. Friends, any sacrifice you make will be remembered by the only one who, at 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 the end, matters for all time. Let me just end off this section by reminding us that that John also tells us, gives us another interesting detail, and that's that Judas was actually the ringleader um, of the disciples at this point in time, where he suggested that the perfume should have been sold and given to the poor, which I think is actually highly ironic because Judas clearly didn't care, care one whit about the poor. He was a thief. And then what really kind of blew my mind was, as I read some of the commentaries, they pointed out the fact that after all was said and done, (laughs) Judas was happy to sell Jesus, betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which was less than a third of what Mary was prepared to give to Jesus here. Judas was 
driven just by what he could get out of hanging around Jesus. Mary is animated by a completely different dynamic. She's been changed into a person who's now thinking, dreaming about what she can give in return to Jesus. Judas is driven by a calculated bargain, I guess you could say, while Mary is driven by uncalculated generosity. So friends, let's allow Jesus through the story to push our buttons a little bit. What drives me? What drives you? Because when you get who Jesus is and what he has done, your response must be to respond with generosity and, and, and almost starting to dream up, what can I give, what, what can I sacrifice in response to him? Christianity is not around adding in a little bit of religion on the side. It's around being captured by a completely new value system and a new set of affections. And then finally and briefly, let's look at Jesus' expert discernment. So in response to this outburst, Jesus calmly rebukes the disciples. He wants everyone to see then and now that any act of devotion towards him, any act of worship, is never a waste. There's there's, there's nothing that you can give to Jesus that will ever turn out to be a waste, to be a poor investment. Jesus is saying that any act of worship towards him will never be a waste. It will be, like he says here, a beautiful thing. The returns will be infinite. I'm sure most of us in due course are going to be financially affected by this crisis. Perhaps today is the day that we need to take proper stock. Let me go all in with Jesus. The only investment that is guaranteed, not only in this life, but in the life to come. And so friends, I think that we can conclude that not only what Mary did was not a waste, but it was entirely fitting. And Jesus discerns what's going on in her heart and he commends her for it. She might be the only person, as far as I can see in the gospel accounts, who really understands on the front end of the cross what Jesus is up to. And this is her way of thanking him for what he is about to do. She knows that Jesus is going to die. She senses that this is the last time that she's going to see him alive. And in this amazing act of faith, she actually ends up anointing his body for burial. And this is, this is something that happened to kings in the Old Testament. So perhaps she's even gone as far as discerning that he is a true king. But what we do know is at the time, dead bodies were anointed. But this is something that also blew my mind as I was, I was preparing this message is, why would Jesus need to be anointed before he died? And I think one of the most likely answers is that Mary has also discerned the fact that Jesus is going to die on a cross as a common criminal. And common criminals are not afforded the luxury of being anointed after they die. After they die. So, so Mary takes the opportunity, knowing that it may not come again, to anoint him now, not later. And so Jesus discerns that Mary has seen all of this, that, 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 that she has got all of this in a, in a spiritual sense, and he commends her for it, and he says it out loud. And he says, yes, you always have 
the opportunity to help the poor. Don't hear what Jesus is not saying. He's, he's not saying that helping the poor is a bad idea. He's saying you're always going to have that opportunity. But this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. What's going on at this point, what's going on at this point in human history is unique and world-changing. And Mary alone gets it, and she deserves to be commended by Jesus himself. So was this a waste on Mary's behalf? I mean, isn't it incredible that still today, nearly 2,000 years later, she has been held out as a model of devotion, even via video conference 2,000 years after this happened? Could she ever have dreamed of the honor that would come to her by this story being included for all time in Scripture? Another way of thinking of this is, does a year's worth of wages now seem like a lot in retrospect. I mean, I, I kind of got a lump in my throat as I was, I was preparing this, this week to just to think about the fact that I get to be one of the millions of people through the ages who gets to testify to the truth of what Jesus promised here. That I would get to tell the story of Mary and her lavish devotion to Jesus. Mary got it, that Jesus was going to die for her. With his eyes wide open, knowing and anticipating the suffering that was going to come to him. And he does it out of incredible love for her and for you and for me. And so friends, we have a choice before us this morning. Will we continue to value all sorts of things in, in life equally? Or will we use this time of crisis and narrowing options to re-reflect again on what is of true, lasting and infinite value and to reorient our lives accordingly? I really feel that as, as the world gets shaken right now, Jesus is saying, okay, do I have your attention? I am the only one worth giving the best of your time and your talents and your treasure to. But I promise you that everything that you give to me, I will give back to you 10,000 fold. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, the gospel. Thank you for the story that puts on display so clearly to us who Jesus is. And we thank you so much that we have this model of what it means to go all in with Jesus. Please help us now at this time to, to take stock of our lives, to, to think about how am I showing with my actions what I truly value and where do I need to redirect my attention. Lord, it just is a reality that life is fragile, that we are mortals and we just we, we thank you so much that Christianity uniquely solves that problem. It tells us that Jesus has conquered sin and death. And that by uniting ourselves to him, to coming uh, alongside you, Lord, that by, by, by doing that, by 
that way alone are we able to have confidence that we too can escape uh, this fallen world and the curse of death. And so we pray in Jesus' name that you'd help us take these things to heart now this morning. Lord, I pray that we would all apply these lessons that you want us to apply. In Jesus' name. Amen.